Sandra from Family Personalities. Welcome to Humans Discuss Being. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Eve. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us uh, all the way from, whereabouts are you again? I'm in United States in Oregon. Mm, nice. Okay, very good. Yeah, over I'm on the Dublin. West Coast. Oh, nice. Okay, you're on the West Coast. Okay, I've cool. never been to Dublin. <laughs> I've never been to Oregon. I would like well, to. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really looking forward to our chat. I'm really looking forward to learning about all you're going to be telling us about. So I guess, how would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Sandra and I run um, my little business called Family Personalities, which is where I help teach families about their personality types and their own personality types as parents, as well as their children's personality types. And I help them use that in parenting. Mm, Nice. Okay, good. Um, Can I ask as well, like, obviously we're going to get into more about about personality types and we'll be talking about that shortly do the children's personality types like that they might does does a person's personality type stay the same like constant throughout their life or is there a possibility for change or how does that work yeah as far as the 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 model that i work with is called myers-briggs which is denoted by four letters and as far as that is concerned your your personality preferences in the Myers-Briggs system, do not change. You're born with them and they stay the same through your life. But that doesn't mean that you as a person don't change and grow, right? (laughs) You are very different. You know, say you have the same personality as someone else, there's 16 of them, right? And obviously there's more than 16 types of people in our world. So, you know, I have INFJ preferences. Someone else who has INFJ preferences is going to be a different person than me because of their experiences and, you know, the things that they've, and, and you know, there's other aspects to personality type but, but besides the ones that Myers-Briggs measures. So um, the answer is that your personality can change, but your Myers-Briggs type does not change. Ah, okay. Very good. So then what is Myers-Briggs? How would you describe that? Yeah. So Myers-Briggs measures two different things. It measures how you communicate, how you prefer to communicate with people and how you prefer to make decisions. And it's denoted by four letters. And a really good way to think of them is that each, each of those four spots has two options. So like the first one, for example, is either introversion or extroversion. And we use the letter I for introversion. We use the letter E for extroversion. And a really good way to think of each of these letter pairings is thinking of um, comparing it to being right-handed or left-handed, right? Like we can use both of our hands to do things, but there's one that's just more natural and more comfortable. And we've been gravitating towards that since we were a little kid. Mm. And it's the same way, like I'm right-handed. So like, you want to try and see me write a grocery list with my left hand. It's not going to be pretty. doesn't mean I can't do it. doesn't mean I couldn't train myself to be better at it, but ultimately that right hand is where I want to go. It's where I'm most comfortable. And it's the same thing with all four of these letter pairings. So with introversion, extroversion, for example, I'm someone who prefers introversion. It's just my, it's just more natural for me to be uh, oriented towards my inner world of thoughts, ideas, and reflection it's a little less natural for me to come out and be in my outer world and interact with people and, you know, the physical world and activities and stuff like that. Doesn't mean I can't do it. I've actually gotten pretty good at it. Here we are together doing yeah. a podcast, right? I do a podcast. I work with people, but still my most natural, comfortable place of being is my inner world. So, and then, and then there's, there's three other letter pairings besides that, which I, I don't know if you want me to go into oh, please. what they yeah. all are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the second one is measures how you take in information from the world. And we call that one sensing, which we denote with an S, or intuition, which we denote with an N. 
And that's basically, it's a, if you are someone who prefers sensing, you tend to prefer information that deals with details, facts, with practical applications. Um, whereas if you're someone who prefers intuition, you're going to prefer theories and ideas and meanings and looking at the big picture. Okay. And then our third letter pairing is thinking or feeling, which we denote with a T or an F. And I always want to tell people like scrap the definition of thinking and feeling that we actually use in everyday language. It doesn't mean what you think it means. We all think and we all feel yeah. equally. <laughs> we have to use our brains. We, have, we, we all have emotions. What this means, what this is really looking at is how we approach decision-making. And so people with a thinking approach to decision-making uh, or let's start with feeling. People with a feeling approach to decision-making like to step into a situation emotionally um, and consider either their own values, desires, and feelings or other people's values, desires, and feelings when making a decision. So it's like, what criteria are they valuing? And then for people who prefer thinking, that they feel like all that really muddies up the waters of being able to make a decision for them. And so they prefer to step out of a situation emotionally, considering only objective, logical data. And then the very last one is J or P, which stands for judging or perceiving. And again, we're going to scrap what we think those mean, because someone who prefers judging doesn't mean that they judge, they're like judgmental. <laughs> so that one has to do with how you approach the world outside of yourself. And what that means is people who prefer judging tend to like to put the world ar around them and outside of themselves in order with planning, with structure, um, with just putting things in order, right? And then people who prefer perceiving, they tend to like to take the outer world as it comes. Just like, what is the world throwing me today? And I'm gonna fit into that and staying open and flexible. And those are kind of the four different dichotomies. We all have a preference one way or the other for them, but we can all do all of them. We are multifaceted human beings. And then our children each have a preference for one of them as well. That's so interesting. One like, of each. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so like, even as you were, as you were guiding me through all of those, I was kind of like uh, thinking, you know, like which ones am I, but also um, thinking of like, you know, other people in my life, like my partner mm -hmm. or my friends or things like that, you know, so um, it's really interesting. And I think very helpful, this information. What did you say your type is? INFJ. So introversion, intuition, feeling and judging. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. I probably will be quite similar to you, I think. I mean, I haven't done one officially yet, but um, yeah. I, I wouldn't think... be surprised. I, there's a pattern in people who are, who are having me on their podcasts tend to be intuitive feelers and often introverts as well. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, do, yeah. It just tends to be the type that are that actually is interested in personality type. See, so. yeah, it's so interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, like that's kind of how it goes, right? Like, yeah. Um, and so then, you know, with the, like I was saying, I was like kind of thinking of like people in my life and stuff like that. Do you find that in your personal life or professionally, however you want to answer this, do you find that knowing this information like about yourself and maybe like, you know, your partner, does this help in relationships, this information? Oh my gosh, that's, I mean, this is why I became so obsessed with it when I first <laughs> learned about it, you know, I, yeah. I don't know how many, 13, 14 years ago is because I was able to apply it so much in my life, in my personal life. And I didn't have kids yet at that point, but I applied it with my then boyfriend, now husband and my parents. It made me understand my parents and my relationship with them so much better, my friends, everything. It just gave me a different perspective 
on the people in my life and how they approach things very differently from me. And it just never clicked before in that way. And this gave me a language to understand that so much better and to be able to relate with them better. And I use it in my relationship with my husband all the time. Yeah, because that's um, like I was saying to you before we started recording here, like I was talking in my last couple of podcasts about attachment theory and attachment styles in in childhood and then how they go on and and, uh, influence us in our adult romantic relationships in particular that's kind of where all this stuff comes out and like I do find that really really fascinating but what I like about what you're talking about and what you do is there just seems more kind of I don't know like scaffolding around all of this to I guess give maybe more of a language to things you know and uh, more of a blueprint of you know like how to go about you know communicating effectively or whatever in a relationship yeah yeah, it can help it can help a lot with the communication, especially that letter pairing that we talked about, the sensing or intuition really affects how you communicate with people and how you prefer for people to communicate with you. Um, so understanding that and how you and your partner may differ in that can really be helpful. And then the other, that letter pairing, the thinking or feeling can really help um, alleviate conflict because understanding that you are both approaching the decisions you're making in different ways can help. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like ideally as well, right? Like it wouldn't be a case of, well, you know, one person has this knowledge. So then therefore they have to do all the work and understanding. Like ideally both people would understand it, right? So that you're uh, coming to some sort of like neutral ground or mutual sort of meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ideally both people could, could understand the model, but if, if you are, have a partner who's just like, what personality type, like there's just a few, some people who are just not into it. Yeah. Um, you can definitely use the knowledge yourself and, and even, you know, help put words to it for your partner and like, Oh, like I see, like you're coming at it this way. I'm coming at it this way. Now I understand. And then you guys can kind of work together a little better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really feel like this would be very valuable for like dating wouldn't it like people should just know this like and have these little like go to a date and just like test your <laughs> test your date like, <laughs> I've seen I've heard that because you know I by the time I discovered this I I was about to meet my husband and so I didn't do a lot of dating after I had the knowledge of, of Myers-Briggs but I've heard that on dating websites a lot of people who know their type will put their type at the bottom both Enneagram oh, and Myers-Briggs yeah. like okay. you'll, you'll kind of see people be like I'm an ENFP Enneagram 7 or whatever ah very good okay so then I wonder yeah that's really helpful then so then I wonder could you do like um you know if you knew you just weren't suited to a particular like letter formation you just like these people need not apply <laughs> we won't get on <laughs> You could, but I mean, to be, you know, you could really have any type could really have a great, healthy, loving relationship with any other type. So I don't know if I would necessarily use it for that, but it could at least help you understand from the very beginning how this person sees the world, you know, maybe differently from you. And yeah. Yeah. But I think even just, you know, for self-awareness purposes alone, I think this stuff is amazing. You know, it's really valuable. Yeah. I'm able to describe myself to other people better now that I understand myself better. Um, and definitely be like, okay, I just understand why I got really mad at you just there. It's because I'm processing it this way, whatever. It didn't just help you interpersonally so much. Yeah. I mean, true. Yeah, totally. But I mean, you know, that person could just have done a shitty thing as well. You know, (laughs) that's why you're annoyed, right? Um, So I'm very curious, like what drew you to this work then? So it was really just discovering my own type. I used to work in the corporate world and they use Myers-Briggs a lot in that setting to help foster better teamwork. And that's where I first learned about it. 
And when I discovered my type and I remember reading my type description and just kind of like getting this eerie feeling that like, I was kind of like looking over my shoulder, like, is this some sort of prank? Did someone just like write about me and put it in front of me? I was like, this is incredible. Like, how does this, does this type model know so much about me without actually knowing me? And so I just found it so personally fascinating that I just really looked into it myself deeply and was really curious, like how can something seemingly so simple get at the core of who we are on certain levels? And uh, so it was, it started with a personal fascination. And then as, you know, fast forward a few years, I was no longer working in the corporate world. I I decided to stay home uh, with my kids after they were born. And I just naturally began to wonder because I used type so much in my interpersonal life. I just naturally began to wonder about my children and do they have a Myers-Briggs personality type and uh, you know what might that look like when they're kids and uh, how soon can I tell how can I use that in my parenting and so I just personally delved into looking into it and after I had done some reading and typed my own kids and started telling other people about it I found out there were lots of other people who were like wow can you help me figure out what my kids type is and I was like maybe you know and then I you know I just started seeing that this might be something that could help a lot of people. And so I went and got the proper certifications and everything and decided to make it into a thing. And that's, that's where we are today. (laughs) That is so cool. I mean, I can really see this, I mean, obviously benefiting families, but like schools as well, right? Teaching, I would Mm -hmm. imagine. Yeah, I did. I know some people who use it in a school setting they go in and, you know, an entire, say, third grade class and they they do a unit on the personality types and the kids kind of learn about the different facets and pick their own personality type. And yeah, it's really interesting. That's so cool. Amazing. And do you. OK, so I, I hear that you were saying it was like a personal fascination that you were kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is so revealing. Right. And so accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would send, I would imagine that you probably have just a quite good self-awareness anyway. Um, so, you know, you'd be maybe more like, oh yeah, this definitely is me. Are there anyone, like, do you know of any cases or people where they just don't have great self-awareness? So even when they get their results, they're like, well, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, that can happen. Um, it could also be sometimes a little tricky picking because a lot of them can sound like you, like there's some types that are similar to some types in some ways, but different in other ways. Um, and so kind of picking your exact type can be really difficult for a lot of people. And even for me, I definitely went through a process. It wasn't like I immediately arrived at what my type was. Um, for me, I had a really hard time identifying between the thinking and the feeling. I really kind of had a, uh, this is common for people to have either because they received the message growing up from society, from their parents, that there a certain way is the right way to be, mm. that you may have tried so hard to be that way your whole life and even developed an identity that you are that way. And so I would say I'm someone who developed an identity early in my life that like uh, I make decisions with complete logic. I don't try and let emotions get in the way and muddy things up. But in fact, that I, I had to do a little more deep looking and say, you know, I've, I, I, I try to operate that way because that's what I was trained and that's what I was told is the right way to be. But in fact, my most comfortable and natural way of being, it's really hard for me to actually make a decision without taking other people's feelings into account. Like that is really painful for me to try and remove that. And it is actually more natural for me. More, It fills my bucket more when yeah. I can make those decisions with other people's feelings and, and thoughts in mind. That's such an interesting point, isn't it? That it's like what we 
are brought up hearing about ourselves as well could really be impacting and like you know it's kind of it's that whole thing isn't it that you know most people have to go through in their lives that it's kind of like well who am I you know I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm a mixture of what people have told me how I was brought up the society I was brought up in the family like all these different things and you're kind of like it's almost like I feel doing it for myself it's almost like you're kind of like I don't know you're trying to get through this like all these curtains or something like you're trying to push them out of the way just to kind of like well who am I though like in this you know exactly yeah it's all about removing all those layers yeah when I'm working with adults like there's a lot of layers to remove how was I raised how did I feel like I have to be to get along in school when school is very like I'll tell you the school system really caters towards ESTJ and ISTJ types and it rewards that so we got to peel those layers back we got to peel back gender like you know a lot of women are conditioned to be more feeling types. So sometimes thinking women may not identify that they're thinking. Sometimes feeling men may not identify that for they're feeling. So it's like all these layers you have to pull back to like who is really that core person inside before the world had its say. Yeah, which is probably why it's such a good idea to do with kids, right? So that, you know, before we contaminate them with our nonsense. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great kids are, are more unapologetically themselves, depending on, you know, their age and whatever else. But. Sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. And so do you find it very useful then in your parenting? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like, I, I can't imagine parenting without it. Honestly, it's just like the person it's the lens through which I view my children. And I also try, you know, something I've I, I've talked about here and there and the podcast is that it's also important not to box your child in. Like these are not, these are not constricting labels just because Mm -hmm. your child has a preference for feeling and for making decisions with, you know, personal feelings involved doesn't mean they're not able to then step out. Like the, we can all do all of these things. And so we don't want to use it to box our children in, but being able to view your child through that lens can help you understand them so much more and just really for me, it's, it's just the biggest, I mean, I use it also to, to help, um, with ease of like, you know, discipline and like, uh, motivation and stuff like that, but it can also, but the biggest thing for me was just understanding like, Oh, that's why my child's doing this, this really like <laughs> behavior that drives me crazy. Like just having an understanding for it is like the biggest piece for me. But then there's also things you can do to help alleviate maybe some of the stresses or the communication issues between you and stuff like that. Oh, that's really good. I imagine just it makes for more peaceful family living and stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's the like you said, the word understanding there that it's kind of like you're like, oh, okay, I understand why my child is doing this. But I imagine for your child too, right, to feel understood. That's Mm -hmm. a huge thing. Like, that's what everyone wants, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And there's. And there's the, you know, as parents, we just we notice things about our children and we we can see who they are more easily than, you know, other people, but even just having this language and this understanding has made me realize things about my children that I might not have come to an understanding of as easily, just, just little simple things as like, you know, my daughter, she's not super, she has ISFP preferences. She's not super assertive. Uh, which is, I, you know, I wasn't either. No, it's not uncommon for a little girl to be, you know, a little, a little more shy and afraid of like, you know, speaking up, but something that I didn't realize about her until I learned more about the ISFP type, which is that she leads with a function called um, introverted feeling, which I've nicknamed resonant feeling. There's, there's a, there's a whole nother level of Myers-Briggs called the cognitive functions, which is, is too much to get into today, but Basically, when I learned about the brain workings of someone with that type, um, I understood that 
they are the best listeners out of all the types. Like they really take in what people are saying, what's happening around them um, with their whole body. And it's something that once I read that, and then I started watching her, I didn't realize that when she's not speaking up, she's, you can see her whole body is tuned into as soon as her brother starts speaking, she's just like eyes big. She's taking in everything he says. She's an incredible listener. And I'm not sure that's something that I would have noticed had I not known that. And now that I'm tuned into it, I'm like, wow, that's really a strength. And I've been talking that up with her. Like you're a really good listener. And that might be something that informs her later in life. Maybe she decides to become a therapist. Maybe she, you know what I mean? But like, that is a strength and a skill that I maybe wouldn't have noticed because it's something that's internally happening for her that I may not have noticed otherwise. Yeah, that's such amazing. That's really valuable information. And also like, I guess as well, it would explain why she perhaps isn't as assertive or because she's just, she's doing such hard work taking in so much information. Yeah. How could she have time then to be like, actually I need to speak now. Right, yeah, she's putting putting all her energy towards taking in what's happening. And I, that's incredible. Like I'm a, I really want to be a good listener but I'm a terrible listener. Like there's always something going on in my head. And I'm like, you say one thing and I'm off on this other tangent that has started happening in my head and thinking about how I'm going to reply or, you know, you're taking it to something else. And, and I just, I I really uh, am a little jealous, honestly, of that skill that she has more naturally. Yeah. Well, I guess like for her as well, I would imagine, because obviously assertiveness skills, very important, you know, Mm -hmm. particularly for, I would say girls, you know, um, growing up. Um, But so it is a thing I would say that like she probably would need to learn like some kind of I guess self-care sort of boundaries with like you know okay I know you're taking in all this information but like a lot of it's that person's stuff you know you don't need to take that on mm-hmm. you know for them I guess that comes with age whatever it's age appropriate learning as well yeah yeah and that, that definitely that's one of the types there's a few types that really need help with mm-hmm. um with you as a parent encouraging them to have their own opinions and to voice them. And she's definitely one type. And there's, there's kind of a, a a rule that I, that I use with your kids when you find out, you know, their, their more natural preferences versus what is more of a stretch for them. And I say in a, as a general rule, we want, we want to have our kids spend about 80% of their time in their natural way of being their natural preferences and about 20% of their time stretching, teaching them how to stretch to that other side, teaching her how to be more assertive, teaching her how to tell people her opinions instead of listening to their opinions. And you don't want to push them too much because that's going to stress you out. Like if you think of someone who prefers introversion, having to be in a loud, crazy place, interacting with people 24 seven for an entire week. Imagine how, if you are someone who prefers introversion, how much that would stress you out. Like we don't want to, we don't want to push our kids into that uncomfortable space for too much because then they don't have the, um, they're not well-resourced and then they can't stretch as well. But if they are well-resourced and they're getting that bucket filled that 80% of their time in the most comfortable way of being, then they have the energy to, to stretch to that other side 20% of the time and start building those skills. Yeah. Um, So I want to ask as well, like, what is the kind of work you do? Like if somebody, because I presume like, well, I don't know, do you do most of your work online? I presume with COVID that is what happens. So like even people in Ireland could get in touch with you, right? Yeah, I do. I work with people all over the world. I use Zoom. Yeah. Um, And I, I even started that way before COVID because I, you know, I just, there's only so much you can do. And I live in a small town. There's only so many, so many people I can reach here. And so I prefer to have a broader reach. Um, And so usually I, what we do is we start with typing and I, I'd like to work with the whole family, but I can work one-on-one also. If it's just like, I just want you to type my one child or whatever, but usually I prefer to have the whole family 
come together. We type the parents, we type the kids. I teach you about all the different types, where the differences, where the similarities, I give you sort of like a instruction manual, if you will, for a lot of people are like, kids don't come with instruction manuals. And I was like, (laughs) I'm like, I will give you one. Um, for your kiddo, depending on their type. But then I also look at specifically if a family says, you know, we have a really hard time, like mom and, you know, teenage son really butt heads a lot. Can you look at that specifically? Then I'll go specifically into your family's issue and look at it from a type perspective and give you some tips on how to work through that. That is, Um, And then I also am planning to start doing some, some online workshops too soon. So if people check me out, um, get on the mailing list, then they can hear about those. Yeah. And your website is familypersonalities.com, right? That's right. Yep. And the, the podcast is called family personalities and you can find me on Instagram at family personalities as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Such good information. Like the podcast is great. Um, so, so much information there. It's really, really good. Um, the Enneagram, would you like to tell us something about the Enneagram? Yeah. So I'm not trained in the Enneagram, but we talk about it on the podcast a lot because I, we, both my co-hosts and I think it's fascinating and have used it a lot in our own life. And the Enneagram is more where Myers-Briggs is kind of measuring your, your natural state of being your wiring, as far as how you make decisions and how you take in information. Enneagram is more like this defense mechanism that you have put into place early in life in order to cope with the world as you knew it. So in order to get love and get your needs met. And there's sort of nine different defense defense mechanisms that you may have put into place. Um, And then they carry forward much like you were talking about the attachment, uh, the attachment style. Mm. It's very much like that. Like it's something that you felt that you needed, whether it was a perceived threat or a real threat that you were protecting yourself from and you carry it with you through your whole life. And so it it may have served you when you're younger and it may not be serving you anymore. Right. So it's a great thing to identify and understand about yourself. And mine, I'm an Enneagram one. There's, they, they number the types one through nine. I'm a one and ours is kind of nicknamed the perfectionist or reformer. And so basically we have this feeling that in order to receive the love and care that we need, we had this thought that we had to be perfect in order to receive that we had to be good. And so there's this general feeling and need through the rest of your life that you must be good and perfect in order to survive, in order to get love. Uh, and so that can be great because it's definitely has served me well in life. Like I certainly, I, I got, I had a 4.2 grade point average and I, you know, excelled at everything I did because I made sure that I was doing it all really like in the good, best way. And, um, but on the other hand, it's also caused me a lot of harm because it's put me in this perpetual state of anxiety. Like if I don't get this right, something bad is going to happen. And it's not like a conscious thought, right? It's just this feeling you have. Um, And so understanding that and then kind of getting beneath the surface and being like, okay, really, if I'm late to this thing with the kids, is everything going to fall apart? Am I still going to be lovable? Yes, I am. And then kind of like, I I use a lot of self-talk from, for me personally with where, when it comes to this, but like, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's helpful in understanding your partner too. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting, right? I didn't know that the Enneagram type that you might present with is a defense as a result of what you've experienced. I didn't realize that. I just yeah. thought it was like, oh, this is just a personality type. So there is a little bit of, it's been hard for me to understand whether they, whether some people believe that you were born with it. So you're born with a defense mechanism that you put into place. Other people say it's develops based on your very, very early experiences. Either way, it's like a defense. It's, it's how you, it's how you 
show up and try and get love and and yeah. how you try and get your needs met in, what in would life. be your sense of it do you think it's like nature nurture which one I feel like it's, I feel like you're predisposed to certain types. Like for example, as someone who has INFJ preferences, um, a lot of INFJs are Enneagram fours, which is all about um, being really deep in your feelings and like individualization. Uh, A lot of INFJs are twos, which is all about meeting others' needs in order to get your own needs met. Um, And you just see like a majority of INFJs are those two types. However, I'm a different one. Um, But I think, I think so. I think people are genetically predisposed, disposed, (laughs) genetically predisposed to put a certain defense mechanism in place. But I think that then it varies based on what were your earliest circumstances. And so I might have been more likely to show up as a four or two, but because of my home environment, I show up as a one. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my personal theory on it, but I'm not studied enough in it to be able to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that I mean, like that's just the, the age old sort of um, debate, isn't it? The nature nurture thing. And I feel mm-hmm. like really it's like an impossible one to answer. Right. Because it's like, how do you isolate those things from, what, yeah. you know, it's impossible. Yeah, they might get closer that because it's really interesting. There's uh, someone who does brain imaging around around personality type. And he actually measures, his name is Dario Nardi. He measures the activity in your neocortex and compares that to your personality type. And he's found patterns between types. So it'd be really interesting if they could like then take that back to babies, you know, but obviously the brain works very differently when you're a baby from when you're an adult. But um, I'm wondering if they could get at that more someday because of all these different things they're doing and there might be more of an answer to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's so interesting then about the Enneagram. And then do you, in your work, do you kind of use the two, Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, or do you just focus mostly on Myers-Briggs? I just focus on Myers-Briggs. I don't find Enneagram as helpful with children. So it's really Myers-Briggs that I use, but I will say if knowing, if people know their Enneagram type, that can help with the typing process because Uh um, understanding, you know, the defense mechanism you've moved through life through, that could be one layer of the onion that we need to remove in order to get to what your Myers-Briggs type is or whatever else. So I still find it interesting and fascinating. And I talk about it a lot, but I feel like I would need to do some more real training in that if I were to actually use it in my work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like, oh my gosh, it's great. Um, yeah, that's, this has been amazing. Is there anything else that you'd like to say or uh, that I maybe have not asked that you'd like to say? No, I mean, you know, there's so much more. That's why I have a whole podcast on it. But I was just going to say, I was <laughs> just going to say cover so much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's exactly it. And like even some of your answers, I was like, she's already done a podcast episode on this. So <laughs> people should just check that out. Right. You know, so yeah. And um, if you ever want me to come back to dive into like one dichotomy of it, you know, we could do that. We could do like a whole episode on introversion, extroversion or a whole episode on thinking, feeling or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, it's so like really really interesting and I can see how it's so valuable for for everyone like and I'm training like I was saying I was training to be a therapist at the minute like and I would say this is really helpful for like you know people in individual training but like couples in therapy and you know yeah it's yeah it's I've heard of people actually doing it as part of like pre-marriage counseling finding out each other's Myers-Briggs types yeah 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 that's amazing. Like, yeah, it's like anything that helps, right? Like just to, for us to understand one another would be good. Yeah. yeah, that's really great. Thanks so much, Sandra. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you this for has having been me. Wonderful. Uh, do you want to just like one more time say what where people can find all of your resources yep. and information? 
Yep. I'm family personalities everywhere. So family personalities is the website. It's the Instagram and it's the podcast. I also, I didn't mention that I have some downloads on my website. If you go to familypersonalities.com slash downloads, I have right now I have two, um, but I am planning to put up the others to help you under to find your child's type. So when one looks at introversion, extroversion, the other one looks at judging and perceiving. So those first two letters and those last two, and eventually I'll have the, the other two up as well. Oh, amazing. So go grab those. Thank you so much. One thing I was just thinking there would be, I would imagine, is this, would, would this be true that like when families find out their types, does it help siblings get on better with each mm. other? Yeah. And my, my kids aren't quite old enough. My, my son is a little bit to start understanding and discussing it. He's eight, my daughter's five. Um, so they're not quite old enough to use it interpersonally yet, but I definitely know families with older children who have found it really beneficial. Um, I'm even going to have on the podcast soon here, uh, a 13 and 15 year old sibling who their family is really well-versed. And so they have used it among siblings and everything. So uh, yeah, it can definitely be used with, with older kids to help understand their, their siblings better and get along better. Oh, my word. This is so excellent. That's so great. Thank you so much, Sandra, for taking the time to tell me about all of this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. 